Well, it's good to be with you this morning. We are in the second week of our book of Philippians, and it's a new study that we're doing, and we will be going through this book, and it'll take us all the way through summer. The uh, point for us, again, as we mentioned last week, we're going to take this verse by verse, and, and one of the purposes that we may understand uh, what God instructs or what God wants us to hear about what it means to be a gathering of Christians trying to follow him. And, and secondly, what we want to do is we want to understand what more about God's nature and his character. And the third benefit, as we mentioned last week, is as we study this together verse by verse, our goal is that uh, we can together learn the kind of questions we should ask and the way we want to observe Scripture so that you can do it on your own. We believe that uh, the words of Scripture are useful for daily living, and we want you to be able to engage week after week on your own. So that's why we'll be doing this study. We love the book of Philippians. It is a, a very exciting book, and, and one of the things that we believe that we will discover throughout this is when we we will discover the heart that Paul has and what it looks like as we become followers of Jesus who understand more and more what it means to have a life surrendered to him so that he can live through us. And the, the, what we get excited about, we learn to love as God loves. We learn to care about the things he cares about as he lives his life through us. So that's one of the great challenges that, we'll be, that we will find throughout this book. And so a couple other challenges we had for you. I uh, encourage you last week, and once again, would you be willing to read the book of Philippians with us each week? It is only four chapters long, so sometime during the week, try to take 10 minutes out of your week to read the book of Philippians. And the other thing is, if you are a note taker, you like to take notes, we always provide a piece of paper for you. But uh, I want to challenge you to maybe bring in your own notebook so you can kind of track the progress uh, of the things that you're learning through this. So uh, that's a little bit what, where we're going and what we're doing in the book of Philippians. So as we get started, let's pray. God, we thank you again for this time and ask that right now, my words would be your words, and as I teach, Lord, may I actually be learning, learning more about what it means to um, have you transform and change and shape my life, and I pray the same for everyone in here. God, may we see you more clearly, may, may we experience your presence, and we ask that you would uh, shape us, shape this church uh, for your name's sake here in our community. We thank you in your name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. One thing that we'll find here in chapter 1 today, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. And one of the big things that we see here today is we see Paul's amazing uh, care for the people in Philippi, but also he has this incredible prayer for, his, for the church. And it's a prayer that we believe he has for us today. It's a prayer that we learn what real love looks like. Now, what's interesting, though, is as we talked about last week, one of the things we always want to know when we're studying a book of, in, in the Bible is some context. We want to know about the people who are involved. And today, I want to start off and talk a little bit about Paul, the guy who wrote it. Because it's amazing to me to see his passion, to see his heart, and to see his, uh, this incredible love that he has when you understand where he's coming from. See, I believe Paul has always been a passionate person his entire life. I believe that he had a deep love for God, but it showed up in different ways. The first time we meet Paul in Scripture is in the book of Acts, chapter 7. In fact, in verse 58, we're gonna go, I, I'm going to explain, and you could go there with me in just a moment if you'd like. But Paul, at this point, he went by the name Saul. 
He was a Jewish follower. He was known as a Pharisee. And a Pharisee, we kind of have negative connotations for it today, but it's not always negative. It meant that he had a passion for the law. He liked to keep the laws of God to the letter. He was very zealous about God's law and the word. And that means essentially think of it as our Old Testament today. He understood it. He studied it. He believed it. And he tried following it perfectly. He had a deep love for God. That deep love for God caused him to, to question this new movement of Jewish followers of Jesus. As Jesus came and proclaimed that he was a son of God sent as the Messiah, Paul took a while to believe that. Later on, we know that he was firmly convinced, in fact, taught others using the Hebrew Scriptures, using the Old Testament to convince others that this truly is God's son sent to us. But at first, he was skeptical. In fact, to the point of where he was working to stop this movement of followers of Jesus from, ha- from growing. We meet Saul in the book of, or Paul in the book of Acts chapter 7. And there was, what was happening here is this another character named Stephen. Stephen was a follower of Jesus. He was passionate. He had just explained to this group, Jewish group of followers all about Jesus and said, look, your prophets have been talking about him. They've been pointing to him from the very beginning. All of scripture is pointing to the person of Jesus and he is fulfillment of everything we're waiting for. So Stephen, this, this Christian, explains this to Saul and to other Jewish followers. But they didn't, have, they didn't want to hear it. So they pushed Stephen outside of the city and they picked up rocks and they stoned him to death they proclaimed because of blasphemy and in verse 50 let's pick it up in verse 58 said when they driven Stephen outside of the city they began stoning him and the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul this is who we later he gets his name changed to Paul they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and Stephen said Lord Jesus receive my spirit Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he died. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. That is how we're introduced to the guy who wrote the book of Philippians. We see that Saul, or now we'll call him Paul, had this love for God, this passion for his word, but his love showed up in the form of rocks. It showed up in the form of saying, anyone who stands against him, we're gonna kill, we're gonna destroy those people. It wasn't from a bad place, it was from a place of, he, it was a misplaced love for God. But we're gonna find, how does Paul move from rocks to now when he is writing the book of Philippians, He's in chains. He's in prison for his faith. And what we hear from Paul time and time again is it's okay because now that I'm in chains, more and more are hearing about Jesus. More and more can understand his grace and his forgiveness and the hope that's found in him. And somehow Paul moves from rocks to chains. And love is made known somewhere in there. And so today we want to have that as a backdrop of understanding Paul and his life. So now let's go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. Knowing that this is the the story of the guy who's writing this, let's read these words. Paul's writing to Christians in Philippi now. He is now a Christian. And he says, It is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. 
Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. And so this is based on last week. He said, I'm so grateful that you joined in with the gospel from the very beginning. And our point last week, it is better to join in than to sit back and watch. And God invites us to participate. And, and Paul's excited about the work that God has begun in the lives of the followers of Jesus there. He says, I have this great, I, I'm excited for you because you've been partakers of grace with me. Verse 8, for God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So as Paul begins here, we see that He's coming from a place where he's in prison writing to Christians and his biggest thing is, I have a deep affection for you. I love you. I care about you. I'm praying for you. One thing I, uh, I, I mentioned last week and it's a commitment of ours is that we want to be a church where your staff and your elders and ministry leaders are praying for you consistently. We want to be a leadership team that has an affection for you. That we care about what God's doing in your lives and asking that you would experience his presence more and more. And so throughout the week, we're praying for you by name as we're able. And I believe there's a principle here, and this is kind of a side note, but it's definitely a principle of relationships. Is I've often tell people when they're struggling with maybe a friendship or in their marriage or they're struggling with a coworker or a neighbor, is I, I, one of the challenges I give is start praying for that person and see what happens. And I don't mean pray, God, would you just unleash your wrath and justice on them? Not those kind of prayers. God, would you change them so they become the person I want them to be? No, no, not that. But the prayers that say, God, would you help them experience your presence and your grace? Would you help them experience the fullness of what it means to love you and to follow you? Would you just bathe them in your love? And would you shape and change my heart towards that person? You know, if you start praying that towards somebody, guess what happens? we start to find our hearts drawn. And so that's a side note, but it's, I, I believe it's a principle even in leadership that when we pray for the people we lead that all of a sudden we start to care more. We're kind of depositing in that emotional bank and Paul's doing that here. But today what I want to explore is the nature of his prayer. Paul's prayer for the Philippians, he says this, and this I pray for you, in verse nine, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. A couple of things about this prayer. He says that your love may abound. This is actually, he uses the word agape here. It's the agape love. And when we find that in Greek, it's actually, it means an unconditional love. Unlike the love that most of us are comfortable with is a conditional love. We all love you as long as you stay in my good graces. Paul is praying that their agape, their unconditional love for God and for others may abound more and more with real knowledge and discernment. I even love the description of abound. The word here is, it, it, it's so, something that can't contain, that it's overflowing. So Paul says, I pray that your love may be filled up so much that it's pouring out with real knowledge and discernment. That's his prayer for people. Paul believes that the Christian life, one of the biggest distinct, distinguishing factors in Maybe the one thing in which all other 
evidence of Christian life flows, it flows from a place of love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we often call this the love chapter in Scripture. He starts off and he says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all, all mysteries and have all knowledge, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. See, Paul believes that our lives need to begin with the posture of this agape love. It's the love that God gives to us. The unconditional love is where it begins. So now let's look at what are the characteristics of this love that Paul is asking for. If he's praying that we may be people who are moving more and more towards a love that God has for us and for others, how do we know? What does that look like? So let's look back at the text. He starts off and says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in real knowledge. Real knowledge. This is a Greek word, epigenosis. And it, is, it means this. It means a knowledge that you can possess, not just simply a knowledge that's in your head. For many of us, it's easy to say, well, I, I acknowledge that God loves me. I acknowledge that it's unconditional. I acknowledge that he cares for me. But sometimes it's difficult to actually own that and possess it, to really experience what that means. Paul prays that we may abound in this experience of the love. A few years back, uh, there was a Hurricane Katrina, if you remember that, it's over 10 years ago now. And it wiped out, nearly it seemed like half of New Orleans was, was wiped out because of the hurricane and all these houses were underwater. And I had the privilege of taking a couple teams of high school students to do cleanup work after Hurricane Katrina. And one of our jobs was we, we would go into the house and we'd take everything out because it had been floating in water for weeks. So we took all of the furniture out, all of the appliances, and we stripped the house all the way down just to the studs on the inside so it could be dried out and then rebuilt. And, and so one of the houses we were in, I was in this house and there's about five of us, there was uh, five high school kid, boys and myself and we were working and, and we were moving the refrigerator from the kitchen. Now the refrigerator, you have to keep in mind, was underwater for, for weeks, submerged in water. So we started moving it and everything was going well until it hit a little crack and it moved a little bit and the door swung open and what came out was a bunch of water that had filled it. Now, it's not just lake water. Otherwise, I'd be like, oh, look, lake water. But this was, we, we gave it the term meat water <laughs> because it was a freezer filled with meat and the regular refrigerator filled with dairy products. And then it was filled up with water and let sit there for months and months. So when that water spilled out and hit the ground, at first we kind of laughed like, oh, now we got to clean up the water. And then it took a couple of seconds for the smell to hit us. <laughs> and when the smell hit us, I, I cannot explain to you what that smelled like. But the picture is this now. There's all, me and these high school boys, as soon as it hit us, we went running out of the front door, gagging and laughing at the same time because you put a bunch of guys together, we're meatheads, not a lot of intellect going on. So, so we ran out just gagging and laughing like, that is terrible. And then it took us like 30 seconds to go like, I dare you to go in there for like 10 minutes, you know, and, and then it became a game. But so we were out there. Now, the smell, like I said, was horrid. 
than anything I've ever smelled. A couple of weeks ago in my refrigerator, I was cleaning it out and I found <laughs> a Tupperware that had some uncooked meat. And I was like, Sarah, when did we cook the rest of this? Oh, um, when you can't remember, <laughs> you know it's pretty bad. And when it's a little green, it's even worse. And I opened it up and I was like, that is terrible. That was terrible, but I would have made that into cologne compared to what I smelled <laughs> in New Orleans. So we went out just gagging, laughing. Two houses down, there was a FEMA worker, and he came down to us also cracking up. And he saw us like, hey guys, did you open the refrigerator? <laughs> I was like, yeah, how did you know? He's like, oh, there's only one thing that causes that reaction. That's when you open the meat water. <laughs> now, if that was explained to me ahead of time, I would have thought, ah, uh, yeah, I'm sure it's bad, but not that bad. But what this FEMA worker had is he had an epigenosis. He had this experiential knowledge of what it was like. It wasn't just something he had guessed about. It's something he experienced, and he recognized it immediately. Paul prays that we may experience God's unconditional love. He prays that we would overflow with that kind of love. And it's one that once you possess it, we can recognize it. Because people who truly grasp God's agape love for us and for others, we're different. We're transformed by that. We no longer start to think it's based on how good we can be. We no longer wallow in our failures. We no longer have to worry about our comparisons to other people. We no longer have to try to live our lives as some sort of game the way the rest of the world works. We can say, wait, we are unconditionally approved and loved by God. And that gives us the freedom to unconditionally love others. So Paul prays that we may experience that, that we may own it, not just have it in our head. The other characteristic of this love that Paul prays for is he says that you may have all discernment. Essentially, let's think of it this way this morning, is to understand loved, love that's described by God. And we understand God's kind of love the more and more we understand his heart and character as we study scripture. This is not love as described by our culture. We have really watered down love in many ways. Sorry to use the word watered down after that first story. <laughs> But we really have made love something different. We've made love very conditional or weak. A lot of us in here love burritos. We love Encinitas. We love the weather here. We love surfing. We've watered down our definition of love. But this, with all discernment, means to love as God loves, to love the things that he loves, and to love how he loves. So the prayer that Paul has is that you may understand what real love is, and really experience it, and own it, and possess it. And then he goes on in verse 10. He says, and once you have this, you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless till the day of Christ Jesus. So the characteristics of this love, he says, if you lead to the effects of this love, the results of that love. So once we really start to possess and understand unconditional love that's been poured out on us, and we start to possess an unconditional love for others and for God, now how, what does that lead to? It leads to a life that may approve the things that are excellent. This word excellent is actually kind of difficult to translate. But it's used by Jesus several times in a parable of the lilies in the field and the birds in the air. And he says, 
God cares about the flowers of the field. He cares about birds. But how much more does he care about you? He values you. And this word is actually a word that, possess, that he used there of saying what is excellent are the things that God truly values. And who does he value? He values people. He values you. He values me. He values your neighbors. Even the ones with barking dogs. <laughs> I love my neighbors. They're perfect. If they ever listen to these sermons, for the record, I have great neighbors. So, I actually really do have good neighbors, I do. They can listen to the sermons. Can we edit that piece out about the barking dogs? <laughs> God values people. He cares about the people you interact with every day. He cares about them more than anything else. And when we start to understand and grasp his agape love, we are set free. We can live our lives so therefore to approve the things that he approves of. To love the people he loves. And notice, this isn't approving of all lifestyle or all behaviors. That's not saying, well, we don't care about any sort of anything else. No, it means the thing that God cares about we know is people and broken people and hurting people and people in need of grace and forgiveness and, and mercy. Do any of you know anyone in need of grace and forgiveness and mercy? Look at the person next to you and say, you need God's grace. Go ahead, tell them right now. They need to know. I just, I love doing that because it's funny to me to watch spouses do that. Because they wholeheartedly respond when I say that. They love to say that. <laughs> we all do. So when we start to grasp and understand God's love and start to love the way he loves and care about the things he cares about, we start to then Approve the things that are excellent, the things that God values. We can care about our community. One of the things here at this church is we are deeply involved in the city, with the city. We are part of a new pilot program to help with third grade literacy right here in the elementary school. Why do we do that? We do that because we have learned and found that the research shows that kids who are able to read by the end of third grade are time and time again more likely to stay out of jail and to break the cycle of poverty. Third grade hap happens to be a, a magic year from a developmental standpoint. It's very important. So our church has partnered with the local government to do a pilot program to help the kids who are in our neighborhood to learn to read because we want them to break the cycle of poverty and in some cases crime and in many cases, broken families. Why? Because we believe God cares about them. He loves those kids. He loves them so much, we, I can't even explain it. And it's not making our church look better. It doesn't bring in more money. It doesn't build our numbers, but it says we approve the things that God does. We want to love the way he loves Why do we invest in the community resource center and help the homeless and underemployed? Do you know that there are some homeless people who've made bad choices and therefore they're homeless? Not all of them, but some have made bad choices. We as a church have decided not to determine whether they made a bad choice or not and we said, let's love them anyway. Why? Because God does. We want to be a church. We want to be people who pour out that agape love. Not because we'll get something in return, but because God first loved us. 
And we want it to show up in our deeds, in our actions. When he says, so that you can be sincere and blameless, that word literally means tested by the sun. Something that you can hold up to the sun, let the light shine through, and the actions match the heart. John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, he says, Little children, let us love not with word or tongue, but in deeds and in truth. Let us be people who have actions connected to our love. So that's what Paul's asking for. Then finally he says this. Verse 11, and this is very important that we get. So we want to have agape love that we grasp, that we've experienced. We want to love the way God loves. We want to love the things God loves. We want it to be lived out in our lives. But then he says this, all of this having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. To the fruit of righteousness, this is a very Christianese term. Anytime you see fruit, I don't think tomorrow you'll go to work and say, hey, I just want to talk to you about the fruit of righteousness in my life. This is a way fruit, when you see it in, in, in writing here often, just think of it as evidence. This is the evidence, the marks of righteousness in your life. Now that probably still doesn't play at work, right? You want to see the evidence of righteousness in my life? We want to understand righteousness. To make it very simple, this is a right relationship with God and with mankind. So Paul says all of this is possible when you've been filled with the evidence of a right relationship with God and man. Okay, that sounds great, but don't miss the last part. This right relationship which comes through Jesus Christ, through the glory and praise of God. Notice, Paul doesn't say, hey, when you do these things, when you learn to love as God loves, when your actions match that unconditional love, then you will have the fruit of righteousness. You will have evidence of a right relationship with God when you get your life right. He actually reverses the process. And he says, when your life was right with Christ because of what he has done for you and he is doing through you, then you can learn to love as he's loved. It doesn't start with you. It's not dependent on how well you do it day after day. It's not about your effort. It's Christ's effort and life in you. A few weeks ago, I shared the story of playing basketball in the local gym, and I shared about one of my failures. You guys love those stories. I, every time I do, people are like, I love when you share about how messed up you are. And, um, <laughs> but it's true. So I shared about, uh, I was playing basketball, and I got an elbow in the face, which I, it was pretty intentional at the time. And so I kind of overreacted, and I shared my thoughts using really creative words, mostly Greek, um, with with the person who did it. And then life went on, it was fine. But I shared that story as evidence of Christ lives in me, but that was an example of me living in me. That was an example, even though I have a right relationship with God, the old Ryan kind of poked up and said, hang on God, I'll, I'm stepping in for a moment. Now, that was better than 20 years ago because the old Ryan would have really reacted in that situation. But more and more with Christ in me, Christ can live through that. Now, Fast forward about two weeks later, God thought it would be funny if, while playing basketball, another guy went up for a rebound and like swung his hand. There's no way you're going to get a ball swinging your hand. And his fist hit me right in the nose. The exact same thing. In fact, I think the angels in heaven were like, okay, you want to do what, God? Sure. And they hit me right in the face, right in the nose. That same 
aggression came to the surface. But this time, I have no idea why. I just turned, I took a breath, I wiped the blood, came back and said, I'm fine, let's go. And in that moment, I couldn't explain what happened. I couldn't explain how I didn't lose my lid. But it was Christ in me more and more, learning, Ryan, less of me, less of me. It didn't hurt that it was two weeks ago and I had to share with you how messed up I was. But I think that was God's way of saying, let me keep growing through you. When Paul does this prayer, and he says, we want to become people who understand agape love, unconditional love, poured out on people who don't deserve it, poured out in ways that don't always make sense. All of that happens as Christ lives and makes himself known in you more and more. When we surrender more of ourself and allow more of him to live through us, If you wake up tomorrow and say, my goal is to have agape love, I can do it. You can probably do it until you interact with the first person you see that day. (laughs) But if you say, Christ, I can't do this, but Jesus, I know you can in me. Watch what starts to change. Will we have our failures? Of course. That's how it works. But more and more, Christ wants to make his life known through you. I believe Paul is praying here, and I want to invite the team, worship team to start making their way up. I believe that Paul's prayer here is coming from a place where it used to result in rocks. His love, when it was his own power, when it was his own ways, when he thought, I'm going to love the way I think is right, in the power that I possess, it showed up in rocks that he would throw. But the more he understood that he couldn't do it, and he surrendered and allowed Christ to be the one in and through him, it showed up in chains to say, whatever circumstance, let Christ be made known through me and in me for others. What are the rocks? What are the chains in your life? What are the things that you take into your own hands? Who are the people that you struggle to love. Maybe it's individuals. Maybe it's a type of person. Maybe it's a political group. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Who are those people? They're people that God loves. I promise you that. It's people he cares about. Can we be a church that allows Jesus and prays and says, Jesus, we want you to teach us agape love and to live your unconditional love through us so we can see our worlds transformed and changed by your power, by your glory, for your name's sake, not ours. That's what we want to be about. So as we end our time here, we're just going to turn our focus and do one last song of praise to God because remember, this all starts with a right relationship that comes from Jesus anyway. And I believe the more we turn our hearts and our focus on Christ, the more the other stuff just starts to take care of itself. And so let's end our time by focusing our hearts on Christ. And let's let the other stuff be shaped and changed as God lives his life through us. Stand with me as we pray. God, we thank you for this time and we ask now, Lord, that you'd forgive us for the failures that we 
make known day after day. We pray that you would forgive us for the times when we try to live on our own power, loving our own way, choosing who's deserving of your grace and your love and your agape, but God, we mess that up, so I ask now that you would move in this place. Lord, would you help us this morning to experience your unconditional love and experience your presence here? And Lord, would you let your life be made known in us and through us in powerful ways. And if there's anyone here this morning who has wandered from you or has never taken the step of faith this morning, God, would you draw their heart to you? And if that's you this morning, would you pray this prayer with me? If you want to place your faith in Jesus, pray with me now in the quietness of your heart. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to change and shape my life. Would you forgive me for my sins and begin living your life through me so that there's every day more of you and less of me? We give you this time in your name. Amen.